0: Welcome back to Historical Light, an independent Masonic show focused on the historical events and aspects within Freemasonry. As always I'm your host brother Alex Powers. I want to thank you all for joining us once more and uh, I'll kick it over to our co-host this evening brother Robert Marshall.
1: Uh, Greetings everybody this is Robert Marshall, secretary and past master of Waco Lodge 92, um, primary sidekick for Alex with Candace Lodge Research. I'm a member of the Austin Scottish Rite Valley. I don't know what other Masonic affiliations I have. There's too many. Uh, And uh, I'm an actual historian, degree historian. I went to Baylor and uh, studied how to do this. So here I am.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you for being with us again. And I guess I left all my stuff out. Past Master Gardner, uh, Lodge Number 65, DDGM for 9A, and Director for Kansas Lodge Research. And we have with us our special guest for this evening. Very excited to have Brother Rob Moore with us. Um, brother Rob, if you don't mind, I'll kick it over to you. Let you further introduce yourself.
2: Well, thank you, brother. Uh, my name is Rob Moore. Um, I reside in Royal Oak, Michigan. Um, I am currently uh, the executive director of the Detroit Masonic Temple Library, Archive, and Research Center. Um, we reside within the Detroit Masonic Temple, which is the largest Masonic building in the world. I'm also a past master and current secretary of the Michigan Lodge of Research. Uh, currently, as far as uh, lodge affiliations, I'm actually a member of five lodges. I'm um, in three of them currently. Um, yeah, I've got a lot of time on my hands. Um, <laughs> I'm currently a senior warden of Zion Lodge Number One, uh, which was originally chartered in 1764, um, oldest Masonic body in Michigan. Uh, current secretary of Detroit Lodge Number Two. And I'm the senior deacon of uh, Myrtle Lodge number 89 in uh, Belleville, Michigan. So I wear a few different hats. (laughs) So uh, yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show tonight. This is actually an episode I've wanted to do for quite a while, just a time of trying to make everything happen. But when I first got into historical light and uh, was kind of getting the page and the group and all that stuff going, um, one of the first really cool pictures I found was of the Masonic Temple you work at there. And it just blew me away. It's an amazing building. So really excited to hear about some of the history behind there. Um, But before we get into all that, let's kind of kick it off like we always do and ask you a couple questions. First of all being, do you have any family history within Freemasonry or is it just you? Uh,
2: well, uh, my great-grandfather uh, was a Mason. Um, he passed away when I was 11 years old. Um, I never really got an opportunity to really talk to him about that. Um, I saw some Masonic uh, memorabilia at his house, you know, the square and compasses, like uh, his life membership certificate, things like that. I, I asked him about it, and he said, well, I'm, I'm gonna, it, it's, it's something that should be taken very seriously. I mean, he's from the generation, you know, that you didn't really talk about it a whole lot, especially, you know, with non-Masons, even family. So he's like, you know, when you're old enough to appreciate that, um, I'll get into a nice, you know, detailed conversation with you about that. It just never happened, unfortunately. But um, my grandfather uh, was a member of uh, the local lodge as well. Uh, It was more of a social thing for him. Um, He kept up his membership, but he didn't really actively participate. Uh, That was about the extent of my family involvement in Freemasonry. So I mean, I, I had, you know, like I said, relatives that were members, but I mean, it, it kind of depended on uh, different levels of participation. So.
0: Sure. So did you, were you aware of their Masonic affiliation before getting into Masonry then?
2: Yeah, yeah, I was a little bit. Yeah. So like, uh, like I said, I saw the, uh, some of the memorabilia at my great grandfather's house. Uh, my grandfather could kind of mention it in passing here and there. So, I mean, I, I was aware of it.
0: So. Okay. So would you say... Is that something that really made you want to join masonry or what was it that actually brought you to the point of making the leap to actually join?
2: Well, I kind of came to it on my own. Um, It was something that I had always been interested in. Um, I was, um, when I was younger, I would kind of research like uh, the history of uh, certain uh, fraternal societies. Um, I had an interest in uh, Rosicrucianism and whatnot when I was younger. And so I kind of, that kind of parlayed into at least, um, kind of what I hope to develop, kind of like a cursory understanding of Freemasonry at that time. Uh, and then um, turns out um, when I got a little bit older, uh, when I was in my mid-20s, uh, a, a friend of mine uh, who I didn't realize was a Mason until we, um, he actually brought it up and we actually got to talking about it. Um, we, uh, I had some questions for him. Uh, and He was honest, like, I mean, we, he kind of told me, like, you know, what Freemasonry was and what it wasn't and uh, what I could expect to get out of it. If I joined, you know, what I, what, what I would have to do with a certain mindset I would have to kind of put myself in. Uh, so he, um, he brought me around and introduced me to a group of brothers. Uh, you know, same thing, you know, I had questions for them. They had questions for me. And um, actually then after that, uh, my first really big exposure to it was uh, actually like a tour of the Detroit Masonic temple. Um, you know, like I said, it is the largest in the world. It's, I, I kind of get used to rattling off the statistics, but I mean, if you're not used to hearing the statistics, it's kind of mind blowing. It's uh, 210 feet tall, uh, 550,000 square feet, uh, 1037 rooms. So it's, uh, it's, um, wow. I've, I've been installed. But uh, yeah, it's, it's mind blowing. And the first time I saw it, I mean, I was just Dumbfounded. I was just awestruck that I mean, like a building like this could just even be built, uh, let alone be actively used by the same organization that built it that uh, there was intended sure. for. So I mean, that the, the first tour, um, uh, I. I I also give tours of the building. I mean, one of my responsibilities there is to uh, coordinate tours, to schedule them, and to confer them. And um, the docent prior to me, uh, his tours got a little bit lengthy sometimes. Um, Our average tour is about uh, typically between like 90 and about two and a half hours. Uh, His tours tended to be uh, a lot longer. Uh, The first tour (laughs) went about seven hours. but uh, Yeah, but – I was never bored uh, I, I was amazed uh, so that sure. uh, that you know, we, we don't do, we don't really do that anymore but um, but now at the time it's like wow so I mean then, then I got to talking to him and I got to talking to a few other brothers from some of the lodges there and I, I was hooked uh, this is something that I wanted to do and uh, I petitioned um, after a while and, and I was you know initiated passed and raised and um, that was um, that was back in 2007 and uh, years later here I am and uh, the fraternity has taken on a really central role in my life. You know, I I, I work there professionally. Uh, I wear a few hats there. Um, I serve in various capacities of it. So it's um it, it's it's been a really changing process in my life. So,
0: right, that that's beautiful. You know. Um... Totally getting cat tongue tied here. Sitting here watching the actual panoramic views on the website, and it's totally throwing me off because that place is just amazing. But what I was gonna say is, your first part of the answer there is that you actually came to it yourself. Uh, That's beautiful. You know, there's so many reasons, rhymes, and reasons of why people actually get into the fraternity. And I feel, you know, there's quite a bit of it, especially, you know, the generation previous to us that it was more connection or like, you know, a thing to do because of the history there. And, you know, a lot of times it takes through time before you find that personal connection of yours. Um, So to hear that you kind of came to that from the get go, uh, that's beautiful, because that really, that starts your journey from the very beginning um, versus trying to find yourself in it, um, which for some can just, you know, really take some time. But one thing I want to touch on is the fact that you do work there professionally, which is amazing. I'm totally jealous of that. I would love to explore that building every day. is that something you got into professionally before joining the craft or after?
2: Um, it was after, actually. Sure. Um, you know, actually, and um, I, I was never really focused on like library science or anything like that uh, really before I got into this. Um, in a previous life, I, I was actually uh, working construction at
0: one point. Oh, right on.
2: Oh, so, yeah, that um, that that ended um but uh so i I actually went to school for uh public administration i mean at one point i was going to go into some sort of a government work or something like that and um that that didn't take place but uh once you know like, like i said once i got down there once i started you know kind of going through the archives once i started researching uh it started with you know researching the history of my my mother lodge um like I said earlier, we were originally chartered in 1764. Uh, right. So I obviously wanted to go back and learn a bit more about that history. Uh, you know, learn the ways and whys about, you know, how the Lodge formed and how it developed over time. Then after that, I just uh, started delving into the Masonic encyclopedias. You know, I went through all the Mackie sets and whatnot. You know, I went through like a uh, history of uh, Concordant Orders, you know, which is kind of ubiquitous. But I mean, you're reading it for the first time. It's like, wow. It's like then, at, uh, then you know, just... Um, and just reading all the other ones, you know, just reading, just uh, going in and just reading, you know, you know, Preston and, you know, Webb, looking at the original Webb monitors, you know, looking at uh, some of the Masonic scholars. I mean, just, I just had this like wealth of knowledge at my fingertips and then just kind of really made me want to like really get in and delve into some of the deeper details and just kind of develop just like a holistic understanding and just, you know, learn as much as I could about this. So.
0: Very awesome. Well, we have you on here tonight. We're so thankful that you uh, joined us this evening, but we're going to have you talk a little bit about the history of masonry in that jurisdiction and uh, kind of where the archives um, for your jurisdiction are, what what efforts you're currently taking and just kind of the general history behind. And then we'll jump in with some questions throughout. Robert, you got anything for him before uh, we let him go?
1: Uh, sure, but it might be tied in with where that's getting started anyway. Sure. Uh, Brother Moore, you mentioned how you had developed an interest in uh, the 1764 Advent of masonry in Michigan. It was a military lodge or something along those lines, right?
2: That's correct. Yeah, originally it was. Um, well, what it was uh, back when uh, Detroit was Fort Detroit uh, back in 1764. This had. Um, this was not long after the uh, French Indian War. Um, Montreal had uh, fallen uh, to the British in 1760, so the French could no longer supply Fort Detroit. Uh, there was a kind of a bloodless. Uh, Handover of power from the French to the British. Uh, it happened. It just so happened that the last French commandant of uh, Fort Detroit and um, Major Robert Rogers of uh, Robert's Rangers uh, were both Masons. Um, so they were able to kind of. I, I, I don't want to say that played a role in it, but I kind of like to think that that played a role in it. So, uh, so the British took over. Uh, the uh, regiment, uh, the British regiment that occupied it was the uh, Royal American Rifles or the 60th American Regiment of Foot. Uh, most of the British Army officers were members of lodges um, in Montreal, if not England proper. Uh, The area at that time was largely wilderness. Uh, The closest settlement at that time uh, would have been uh, Kingston, Ontario, and then further up the the, uh, Great Lakes would have been like, what's modern day, like Erie, Pennsylvania. Then you know, upstate New York, you know, Albany and whatnot, Montreal. So obviously going back into their lodge really wasn't an option. So, so yeah, at that time it was originally when it was first formed, um, in, this, in 1764, yeah, it was originally a military lodge. Very cool. And then,
0: right. um, I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, all right, well, we'll just, uh, have you go ahead and, uh, Tell us a little bit about the general history of the building and the jurisdiction.
2: Well, uh, Michigan Masonry has a pretty interesting history. Um, I just mentioned like the early genesis of uh, Zion Lodge. Originally, uh, like Michigan Masonry and Zion Lodge, number one, were pretty much one and the same. I mean, Zion Lodge from uh, its inception until about uh, 1821 was pretty much the only game in town. Um, 1821, uh, Detroit Lodge Number Two uh, formed out of uh, Zion Lodge Number One. Um, the, uh, and going back to Zion Lodge, it's actually under—it's been under five separate charters. Uh, really? 17, yeah, yeah, 1764 to 1767 uh, is when it was warranted um, under the Provincial Grand Lodge of New York uh, because almost all of its members were. British Army officers of uh, the Royal American Regiment of Foot. Uh, the unit was transferred out. Um, I can't quite remember off the top of my head where. It was somewhere in the Caribbean. Uh, so the lodge kind of went dormant uh, for a period of time. Uh, then in 1794, it started back up again. So there was quite a bit of a gap. Uh, there were also like some Irish military lodges operating in the city of Detroit at that time. Uh, same thing happened with them. They just, they, uh, they got transferred to, uh, other garrisons and whatnot and uh yeah 1794 it started up again and this time it was under the uh, grand lodge of upper canada uh for a little bit uh then 1806 um it transferred allegiance back to the grand lodge of new york uh so we've been under new york twice and then uh 1826 is when the first grand lodge of michigan was formed uh, and uh, that was started in detroit Uh, The building is long gone, uh, but uh, there's a statue of uh, George Washington as a master mason, uh, located uh, not far from it on the Detroit River, uh, which um, in a way kind of marks where Michigan masonry, uh, where the masonry that we operate under currently started at that time. Uh, And that wasn't around for very long. Uh, Michigan at that time was getting a lot of influx of settlers from upstate New York, uh, specifically the burned over district where it was just an absolute hotbed of anti-masonry. Uh, so a lot of those settlers brought their anti-Masonic prejudices with them. Uh, so it wasn't long before uh, what was happening with the Morgan Affair in upstate New York was beginning to dramatically affect Michigan as well. Uh, same thing as was the case in New York, was same here, um, it, I mean just masonry was vilified, I mean brothers, really, I mean, like they lost jobs, they lost families, I mean, they could be physically attacked, I mean, if they were identified as being a Mason. So what happened was uh, just three years after it was founded in 1829, uh, the Grand Master at the time, Louis Cass, um, and basically it was a secret meeting. We haven't been able to find any official records anywhere on it. I'm, I'm, hopefully they're out there somewhere. They'd be very interesting to read, but uh, basically um, set... Michigan masonry and dormancy for a time. It, it wasn't like an official, this is done forever. It's like, you know, until things settled down for the safety of everyone involved, we're just gonna like start, shut things down for a little bit. And it wasn't until 1845 uh, that it uh, was officially started up again. Uh, there was a brief period um, in 1840 where they basically tried to resurrect that original Grand Lodge, but they, they were well-intended, but they didn't quite go about it the right way. Uh, they didn't get the proper uh, recognition from other jurisdictions. Uh, they were actually denied, Michigan was actually denied um, admittance to the Baltimore Convention um, wow. in 1843. Yeah, yeah, they, they said flat out, like, no, I'm, I'm, we're sorry, but uh, you didn't go about this the right way, so we, we, we can't recognize you when you're current, well, we can't grant you admission. Uh, so it wasn't until 1845 that things got straightened out, and uh, they, you know, that's the currently operating Grand Lodge of Michigan uh, from 1845 until the present day. So there's, uh, so there's a, there's been some twists and turns uh, within the fraternity in Michigan. Um, it's um, it's not been without its challenges, but uh, it, it's we're still here. Uh, we're still going, obviously. Now, a little bit about the Detroit Masonic Temple. Um, Mich- uh, Detroit, uh, back it was back in the 1890s, really is when uh, Michigan Masonry, at the, excuse me, Detroit Masonry at the time, really felt that they needed like a very large building. Um, it, there was a Masonic Temple prior to that uh, that was finished in 1895. Um, that was planned to have use for about 50 years, but uh, Freemasonry in Detroit was growing so fast, they actually ran under room in 12 years.
1: I'm, uh, so, all right. If you'll pause one second, Alex, I I don't know what I need to do to show this, but I've got a picture of the 1890s building he's talking about so that we could show it right here.
0: Uh Oh, well, at the bottom of your screen, you should have a share button.
1: Well, that would be the button I would want to use, huh? Uh, Let's (laughs) see. Uh, Go ahead. You you can uh, continue, Rob. Sorry to interrupt you. I just wanted to go ahead and get this on there.
2: No, not a problem. Uh, So, yeah, that building, um, it, it was a nice building. Uh, They actually uh, finished that in 1895, Uh, and again, it was planned for use for 50 years, but uh, the craft was growing so fast in uh, Detroit at that time. Uh, There we go. Yeah. Um, And we have a few artifacts from that building uh, in our temple, our our archives. Uh, We have the original cornerstone in the lobby uh, right outside the door of the library. Uh, That was laid in January of 1894, finished one year later. Uh, we have a few of the original implements from that building, you know, various, uh, you know, various things a lodge would use, you know, like uh, aprons, you know, trowels and whatnot. Uh, we have some original programs from the uh, dedication. Uh, we have like, you know, various correspondence, you know, various forms of ephemera and whatnot. Um so finally, it was in uh, 1916 when they said, you know, guys, look, th- th- this just isn't working anymore. I mean, like a uh, lot, I mean, they were literally packed in. I mean, they were having lodge meetings and dining rooms. I mean, they had to like rent adjacent space right next door because like, you know, they, they, we can't keep doing this. So right. they made that decision in 1916 to build a bigger building. Um, in 1919, uh, they settled on the uh, space where the uh, temple currently sits. Uh, So they started buying up the land and it wasn't until uh, November 1920 that they could actually finally break ground. It's, you know, when they bought up all the property on that, they demolished everything. So it was November night, uh, Thanksgiving Day, uh, November 25th, 1920 is when the groundbreaking took place. Uh, and there were thousands of masons in Cass Park, right across the street. Uh, the exact number escapes me, but I want to say it was at least around fifty thousand, uh, just watching this this groundbreaking from it. Um, Then finally, in September 18th, 1922 is when the uh, cornerstone was laid for the building. And they went with that date because it was in 1793 that the uh, cornerstone for the U.S. Capitol building was uh, laid by George Washington. In fact, uh, Alexandria Washington Lodge, uh, number 22 in uh, Alexandria, Virginia, uh, lent uh, some of those same artifacts that Washington used. Uh, The trowel Washington's apron was there. Uh, So they laid the cornerstone, and uh, there's an interesting thing that happened. Uh, Warren Harding uh, was president at the time. He was a Mason. Uh, He was supposed to have participated in that ceremony. In fact, if you go back and look at the old programs, it said, uh, now, remarks from uh, Brother President Harding. Uh, It didn't happen. The First Lady got sick. Uh, He had to stay there in Washington with her. So he sent the Secretary of the Navy in his place, a man by the name of Edwin Denby, Denby was a uh, native Detroiter. Uh, he was a brother. Uh, he was uh, pretty well known in Detroit at that time. Uh, he was famous for, uh, during World War I, he would lead these recruitment drives. In fact, there's a park in Detroit. Uh, you, it, you, it, it's really easy to overlook, but there's a small little stone slab in a park that said, on this spot, uh, Edwin Denby um, joined the US Marine Corps. You know, It goes into a little bit. Um, he later got caught up in the Teapot Dome scandal. and uh, His reputation got ruined. And uh, But at the time, uh, he was still well-known and well-respected. Uh, so he took Warren Harding's place. And then finally, uh, Thanksgiving Day 1926, the building was officially dedicated. Uh, so start to finish, uh, it was approximate six-year construction. Uh, wow. So it was, um, it, it originally was not the uh, largest in the world. Uh, Chicago had that distinction until 1939. Uh, when that building was demolished. And then after that point, uh, Detroit became the largest in the world. So it's, um, we don't quite, uh, at, at the time, uh, Detroit had a very large Masonic membership. Uh, at the time at our peak, um, in the late 1950s, we had 50 active Masonic bodies meeting in there at that time. There were 35 lodges and uh, various. I mean, you had the Scottish Rite, you had the Shrine, you had uh, various York Rite groups, York Rite bodies. In fact, uh, the York Rite Sovereign College uh, was started uh, in the Detroit Masonic Temple back in 1957. Uh, just it's kind of cool. We had a local do you, body. Do you happen here. to know
0: what the uh, membership count was back in that time?
2: Uh, 1950s, uh, I think, you know, I, I don't have the exact stats in front of me. Um, but, uh, we had, I, I want to say locally, uh, we had about 65,000 members in the city of Detroit alone wow. at that time. Uh, we've got about 28,000 in the entire state of Michigan currently. Uh, so just to give you kind of like a little bit of perspective at that time. But um, uh, just, like, uh, just like most of the rest of the country, there were two big waves of membership, like uh, right after World War I, going in until about uh, the mid to late 20s, when you had a lot of lodges popping up. Uh, and then uh, same thing uh, about uh, right after World War II, uh, late 1940s, early 1950s is when membership started to take off. And you kind of saw the same thing again. Uh, you saw a lot of lodges forming. Uh, you had a lot of, uh, you had a lot of affinity lodges too, a lot of uh, niche lodges uh, that, um it's, it's interesting too, because outside uh, the lodge rooms in our building, you'll, still, you'll see the regalia cabinets. I mean, some of them are still used, some aren't, but uh, you have all the original names of the lodges that were once there. Uh, even though many, if not most of those lodges have since consolidated into other lodges or they've moved out of the building or they just turned in their charters years ago just for historical purposes, uh, those names are still there. And you'll see names like uh, Schiller Lodge, which was a lodge made up primarily of uh, German-American men. You'll see uh, Mosaic Lodge, which had a predominantly Jewish membership. You'll see uh, Army-Navy which was uh, at its time primarily consisting of uh, World War one veterans so um, you get a lot of that at that time so and it's um, and then after and, and then again in the late 40s early 50s you kind of saw that happening again only this time it was um, not so much within the city of Detroit you saw a lot of like the suburban lodges popping up as well so it's um, so two big peaks um, then it was Kind of a microcosm of what was going on in the city of Detroit uh, throughout the years. Um, you kind of saw people moving out to the suburbs, beginning in like the mid nineteen fifties. You know, the lodges would move with them. Then um, you had a period of uh, just, uh, just kind of a kind of an overall decline uh, within the city of Detroit itself. Um, you know, the neighborhood like started uh, going south a little bit. I mean, people like were kind of. I, I want to say afraid to come there, but they kind of felt uncomfortable going down there. Uh, so, I mean, there was some issues with that as far as that goes. Um, I think too, I mean, in the neighborhood around the temple itself is, um, I, I don't want to say it's struggling. Uh, it was for a while. Um, it, it's actually come along quite well, but I mean, you, you'll still see some blighted buildings and whatnot around the building. I mean, and we kind of wish it looked better, but unfortunately we don't own most of the property around the temple itself. I mean, people think we do. And every once in a while we'll get these, like, you know, angry phone calls or these misguided emails. <laughs> Why don't you masons fix up these properties that what are you doing? And it's like, well, we, we, we'd love to, but you know, we, it's kind of out of our hands. So <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know, us
0: masons, you know, we control everything, but yeah, that's but, right. Uh, yeah, But it's you good. know how many meetings that would take to be able to fix up those properties. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, so, but so currently uh, within our building, uh, we have a total of uh, 10 um, active Masonic bodies. Uh, We've got six lodges. We've got uh, one chapter, uh, Royal Arch. We've got one uh, Royal and Select uh, Mason's Council, one Commandery, uh, one York Rite College. Um, That's another interesting thing, too, like on tours, like it often amazes people, uh, particularly brothers, that, uh, yeah, this is still an active Masonic building. We don't have as many bunnies as we once did. And realistically, we're probably never going to see those kind of numbers again. But uh, but yeah, I mean, we're still here. I mean, it was a building built by masons, for masons, uh, continues to be uh, an active uh, part within the fraternity. So that's uh, it's a legacy we try to keep going.
0: That's awesome. So I'm, I'm sitting here uh, glancing through all the different rooms and theaters and chapels and everything you guys have uh, featured on your website, which are all just insanely beautiful Um, I'm slipping. How many total rooms did you say is in the facility again? 1,037. Good Lord. Um, I guess, just top of my head, how much of the building actually gets used? <laughs> you so you, get, well, so you got 10 active lodges? Do they all use separate parts of the building, or
2: yeah, yeah? What it is, uh, the building is roughly divided into three main parts. Uh, okay. there's the uh, there's the ritual tower, which is the most easily identifiable part of the building, um, it contains uh, the lodge rooms. contains the uh, main lobby. It contains the mezzanines um, in between uh, the floors themselves. Most of the mezzanines aren't too exciting. It's typically offices or storage space. Uh, The one exception is uh, our third floor mezzanine. We have uh, what we call the drill hall. Uh, That was originally intended for uh, Mandary marching practice. Uh, This is the time when you would have hundreds of members coming to Mandary. They needed like a big space to march so they built a uh, 17,500 square foot uh, floating floor Uh, so the floor has, um, it was the first of its kind in North America. You had uh, a series of layers of like foam and uh, soft pine to kind of cushion the back and the joints and we We, it's, we've got some old photographs of like, I mean, you literally have like battalions uh, practicing in there. It was, it was, I I imagine like at that time, that would have been quite a sight to see. Uh, But most of it's, you know, just like offices and storage space and whatnot. The middle part of the building is, uh, contains the main theater. Uh, The main, we we have two theaters in our building. Uh, The main theater seats um, 4,404. The smaller of our two theaters, which was originally known as the Scottish Rite Cathedral, uh, which is currently called the Jack White Theater. That seats uh, 1,567. Uh, so that, and above that is the drill hall I was just mentioning. Then the eastern part of the building is uh, the Shrine Tower. Um, that was not an original part of the building. Originally, it was meant to be a, a six-story building rather than a seven-story building. And uh, there would not have been in that east tower. So if, if you look at an external composite of the building, It would have been, uh, it was meant to look like a uh, gavel. Uh, The head of the building would have been like the head of the gavel. The rest of it would have been like a tail. Um, But uh, at one point in the uh, late 19, about 1919, 1920, uh, the local shrine wanted to be a part of it too. Uh, So they bought an additional 150 feet of uh, space on uh, what was called Bag Street at the time. And then in uh, 19, October 1920, it got renamed uh, Temple Avenue. Imagine that. So uh, nice. then, um, so then uh, that they, they became a part of it too. So those are the three main parts of it. Um, I would say, nice. I- as far as overall use of the building, uh, percentage-wise, uh, about 65 percent, I would say, gets used on a regular basis. Obviously, some rooms nice. more than others um we, we we do have a fair amount of uh under-use space uh we've got some uh some mezzanines and some floors above like uh the fifth floor because the way it's situated uh, uh the fifth floor of the building we've got three lodge rooms uh the fourth floor of the building we've got two lodge rooms uh the third floor we've got a lodge room that we've got a um, a very special room uh that was specifically purpose built for commandery Uh, Then on the second floor, we've got two rooms that uh, originally were meant to be strictly for the York Rite. We've got a small room that kind of looks almost like a crypt or a vault that was designed for the council. And then we've got a room that was designed specifically for the Royal Arch chapter. Uh, Then uh, the Scottish Rite was originally on the sixth floor, and the uh, the shrine had the entire Eastern Tower to themselves. The local Scottish Rite moved out in uh, 2006 when there was a little bit of uncertainty about the long-term viability of the building. Uh, The Shrine moved out uh, two years before that. So that kind of uh, added to a little bit of the unused space. But um, we've kind of adapted. Uh, We've pretty much had to. Uh, So a lot of the uh, underutilized space has been rented out. Uh, For instance, we have a law firm uh, that takes up some space on the second floor mezzanine. Um, in, in the past on the sixth floor, we've had like a recording studio. We still have bands that come in intermittently and do some practice space recording up there. Um, so we, we, we do have a little bit of that. Um, a lot of what we do is driven prime. I mean, as far as revenue goes, a lot of it comes from, um, concerts uh ag entertainment uh back in march uh signed a 10-year deal to take over the uh, management not not ownership management of our two theaters we often have to emphasize that because sometimes we'll still get calls oh the mason sold the building no no, we not so yeah we, we, that, that, that's a lot of it too is correcting a lot of the, the, the misinformation so um and then they've done a great job uh they brought in some uh, some great concerts uh they've already put uh, well over a million dollars into renovating both theaters you know fixing up the stages the lighting a lot of the hvac which is uh, stuff that we, has to be done but i mean just to be frank that we just ourselves just didn't have the money to do so that that's that's getting done um uh, we're very good as far as like, you know, special events, weddings, um, you know, uh, the aforementioned uh, commandery space on the third floor uh, was deliberately designed to look like uh, like a chapel or a cathedral. So it's a very popular wedding space. We're in the uh, top 10 list in the entire state of Michigan for wedding destinations. Uh, corporate events, we do quite well. Uh, Forbes magazine is doing a... Uh, it's annual 30 under 30 event uh within our building that's pretty much taken over everything um prior to that we had theater bazaar which is a um kind of like a like, like a masquerade party of sorts it's uh, it, it's it's really interesting to see uh because they have a lot of the rooms a lot of the kind of look like these elaborate sets it's kind of like um kind of like an I hesitate to use the word adult theme, but kind of like uh, like a a fun house of sorts. So it's very interesting. It's very unique. So we've, uh, out of necessity, we've uh, we've had to adapt a little bit. Uh, So I mean, if we were, if 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 the building were just for use and absolutely nothing else, we would have closed years ago. I mean, so we 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 had to adjust. Uh, We had to do a few things to kind of. Keep us viable, so to speak, but uh it hasn't been without its challenges but uh the, the end result is that we're excuse me we're uh, we're still going strong so
0: you know I, I think that's awesome though, especially with that kind of space i mean obviously it's it's a no brainer to to rent that out, but uh you know it, it's great that you've got some some good guys in there to uh help uh, kind of ease the costs and stuff like that and keep up that space but I love to see that because, you know, as we've talked about before, you know, these buildings were meant to be kind of a cornerstone in the community and by not having it strictly fraternal, but, you know, having the opportunity for a business to get in there and then have their clients come in and stuff like that, it gives more of an opportunity for the public to see and, you know, respect the beauty of these buildings and what they once were and what they still are in your guys' case. I mean, looking at the pictures on the site here and, you know, everyone watching this episode, I strongly encourage you, go to the website Uh, check it out because they've got some fantastic uh, panoramic view images on here. Um, It's just a beautiful building. I definitely have to come check it out now. I'm really intrigued to see it in person. But I want to get to the the nitty gritty of what I'm totally into because I'm jealous of your job. Once again, you're the executive director of the Detroit Masonic Temple Library Archive and Research Center. Love that. (laughs) Yes. So with in the prime, we were talking about you know, 65,000 people in the city of Detroit alone. Um, throughout all the years, I mean, thinking about the Masons that trace their lineage back to this Grand Lodge, how big is your guys' archives, and uh, where are you at with those?
2: Well, uh, we currently take up um, the western half of the fourth floor of the building. Uh, so we've got about 1,800 square feet. Uh, total. Uh, We also have uh, a lodge room uh, located within our facility, uh, the Egyptian lodge room. Um, What happened uh, back in, uh, I think it was like 2008, 2009, uh, the Grand Lodge of Michigan basically kind of made a deal uh, with the temple because Obviously, it's a special case. You got to have the room spread it out uh, a bit more than uh, like, you know, say like a standard one room temple. So rather than having to go and get a dispensation each and every time, uh, they basically undated, uh, undedicated the lodge rooms uh, with one exception. Uh, the lodge room, the Egyptian lodge room located within the library just is strictly Masonic purposes and every once in a while uh, if it's a a very rare special occasion we can bend that a little bit but uh predominantly it's uh just for masonic purposes um the library itself has actually been around since 1882 uh so we predate not only the current building but also the building prior to this building um it um, moved around a few times it was originally kind of set up uh, almost like a masonic temple association Um, it was uh, made up of representatives from each one of the 11 uh, Masonic bodies in the city of Detroit at that time. Uh, so I mean, it was like two reps uh, per body. Uh, and each one kind of agreed to kind of donate things towards this library. Uh, so it's interesting, if you look at some of the original book plates, it's like, you know, the, uh, the history of you know, one of the Mackey encyclopedias or whatever, like it's uh, donated by uh, Detroit Lodge number two, and that was kind of uh, each lodge was kind of trying to outdo each other to you know what they could donate towards this because you know they they want to say hey we we, we can turn the most towards this so it's a little bit of a friendly rivalry a little bit of a competition um we um have gone through a different a few different forms uh there's been a few inventive ideas uh there was um one uh briefly uh in the 70s and and it kind of changed forms a little bit. It kind of moved around the temple. Uh, Sometimes it had more space at one point. Sometimes they kind of stuffed it into one of the smaller rooms and some of the books got put in storage. Um, In the uh, late 70s up until about the uh, mid 90s, it was known as the Detroit Masonic Temple Library uh, Museum and Hall of Fame. Uh, The idea was is that it was, uh, it it was well-intended. It was kind of made up to be kind of like, uh, kind of like a buying type program. Like if, um, if you donated like X amount of money, yeah, I mean, you became a member of the Hall of Fame. And that was actually patterned after the Masonic Temple Honor Guard, and uh, kind of jumping back to some of the Masonic Temple history. Um, the Temple of Debt was not officially retired until 1953. Um, As of 1950, there was still, um, at that time, 1950s dollars, $2 million of debt on the building. So they came up with the Temple Honor Guard. If you donated like, you know, $1,000 towards that, uh, you become a member of the Honor Guard. You get your name on the wall and you got a plaque, you got a nice dinner. Uh, So it was kind of a pattern on that. Um, so, um, So... Again, it's gone through a few various forms. In 2016, we officially changed the name to the uh, Library, Archive, and Research Center to kind of better reflect our mission. Uh, we're not really a museum in the strictest sense um, you know we, we we do have some exhibits uh, but uh, we don't we're not a place where you can just kind of like wander in whenever you want check things out uh, we're kind of uh, more of like a, a research type library uh, you hmm. know just uh, if somebody's looking specifically for some sort of a Masonic history or uh, sometimes like we'll help folks out with some genealogy and whatnot so we're there so we've got a We've got a wide variety. We've got about, um, in fact, we're in the middle of doing some inventory right now. Uh, We've got about um, 5,000 print materials of various sorts. I mean, some of them are standard books. I mean, some of them are, uh, you know, various magazines, journals, and whatnot. Um, We've kind of, um, this is the other thing, too. Uh, We kind of had to focus uh, more of our collection in terms of space, because we were literally running out of space for a while, um, focus some of our material archives, you know, like uh, on Southeast Michigan Masonry alone. And one of the great things is that um, we have an outstanding relationship uh, with the official Grand Lodge Library. Uh, that's the Michigan Masonic Museum and Library in Grand Rapids. Uh, uh, Dirk Hughes, an amazing man in Mason, uh, runs that. Uh, so it's on the other side of the state, but um, it's not a ridiculous drive. So uh, we see each other quite often. We have a great collaborative partnership. Uh, sometimes if, uh, you know, they want to build up a collection, like, you know, we'll, we'll give them some stuff and kind of vice versa. Uh, and obviously this is stuff, you know, just because, again, we've only got so much space, you know, but you, you, you don't want to get rid of it. So I mean, this is like... Um, so we kind of put together what we effectively call Dirk boxes. Like uh, we'll just fill up a box, like you know, full of stuff that uh, you know, say like it's better suited that you know that stays there uh, right now. And this is something that we're working on too. We're working on uh, kind of an archive annex. Uh, we'll be able to kind of like classify things and store things more effectively. They already have that in place right now, so that's uh, so it's in safe hands. Uh, so we kind of do that, uh, but. Um, so yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of things we're trying to do uh, with the library right now. Uh, there's a little bit of capital improvements we need to do. Uh, unfortunately, um, the library was kind of uh, kind of more of an afterthought in the building for a while. It kind of became kind of just this collection of stuff rather than kind of like a viable research institution. But we've made great strides within the past like three, four years to kind of uh, bring it along where it needs to be. Uh, So we're fixing up, I mean, there's, you know, it's a 93 year old building. So you're gonna have like some peeling paint here and there. I mean, you're gonna have some things that gotta be fixed. So we're kind of taking great strides towards that. Um, We're doing a lot of, uh, like I said, I've mentioned the inventory, we're doing a lot of uh, digitization, at least we're trying to. one of our archival uh, duties is to uh, kind of be a keeper of the blueprints, and there's over six thousand sets. Uh, wow.
0: So, you guys still have the blueprints to the building.
2: We got them. That's fantastic. Uh, yeah, so we're uh, so we're kind of in the middle midst of uh, getting those digitized as best we can. Uh, that's an ongoing process. It's not something that's going to happen overnight. Uh, so we're getting them stored a bit more effectively. Uh, we're trying to get a blueprint cabinet for them um, there's one that would work really really well for us but uh, it's cost about eight thousand dollars so that's you know something we had to prioritize here so that's besides um, something we're doing too another thing we really do too is just just try to really get us out there in terms of um, not just not just a place where people come and do research and whatnot and read but also a place uh, where they could enjoy fellowship uh, we want people that we have to have be able to encourage we We do a series of events, Uh, something we're kicking off actually uh, right now is a series of library after dark events. Um, So over the course of the year uh, into next year now too, uh, we do a series of uh, events that are kind of more towards kind of more social activities. Uh, For instance, in November, we're doing a cigar night. Uh, We've got some scrubbers that really clean up the air, so it's really not much of an issue there. uh, some of the ideas we're kind of having to now is that we'll bring in local speakers, university professors and whatnot to talk about uh, various uh, masonically themed events. I mean, somebody might talk about geometry, somebody might talk about music, you know, along those lines. Um, we'll also have, uh, we also, we've got a great relationship with the Michigan Lodge of Research. Um, they meet there, uh, right now they're meeting, they're having every meeting there, uh, but they usually have at least a, a November quarterly meeting there. So the idea is that, um, you know, brothers that are working on some form of research uh, will kind of have kind of a testing ground to come out and uh, kind of uh, bounce some ideas off each other. So um, we're doing a lot there. We have also been in the habit of uh, sponsoring various events. Uh, the, uh, the Great Lakes Masonic Convocation, Uh, which is uh, entering its fourth year. Uh, That's held out in Lansing, right in the middle of the state uh, where the uh, four, Michigan has four uh, research lodges. So we kind of get together and we put that out there. And the idea now is that uh, we want to expand that. Uh, We want to include most, if not all, the jurisdictions in the Great Lakes region and encourage them to kind of get more involved, uh, send speakers, uh, be a part of the planning process. But uh, that's something that we feel greatly Uh, and uh, that's something that we uh, feel strongly is an important part of uh, the fabric uh, within Michigan Masonry, because there's this great outcry, especially among some of the younger brethren uh, and some of the lodges for a stronger emphasis on Masonic education, and we want to be in a position where we can effectively provide that, or at least uh, encourage uh, the study of that, uh, at least kind of provide like uh, a conduit for that. So So we have a lot of things going on right now, uh so but we've got a great group of brothers here that feel strongly in our mission uh we've got a great group of brothers that uh each have their own variety of talents and strengths that they bring to the table so uh so it's it's i'm really pleasantly encouraged by what we've been able to do and i'm really excited about our future prospects
0: that's fantastic sounds like you guys have a lot going on down there or i guess up there for me yeah Sounds like a great deal
1: and uh, uh, reason for excitement about what all you got going on, and boy, do y'all have layers and layers of history from 1764 to the present day. That's a lot of time to right. fill. You guys were the first uh, Masonic activity west of the Allegheny Mountains.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's um, we 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 were. Um, at one, yeah, so that's uh, we one of the, yeah one of the oldest. If if yeah, there's there's. Little bit of argument there, but uh, sure. we're like some of the oldest down yeah, west of the Allegheny Mountains there. Yeah, so that's uh, so yeah. That's uh, there's a lot of interesting masonic history, and, and uh, people don't when they think like uh, like like you were saying multiple layers of masonic history. Like Michigan doesn't immediately spring to mind, but uh, yeah, yeah, we we've. Uh, Ooh, we've got a really interesting history here.
1: So I, I, I know I, I spotted uh, Lewis Cass f- first or one of the first grandmasters who was also one of the first grandmasters in Ohio, served in uh, two or three different presidential cabinets, uh, arguably w- one of the most influential masons of the 1800s in America. And then in the 1900s, holy cow, the musical lineups, Rolling Stones, Duke Ellington, Ella Fitzgerald, ACDC, And it just goes on and on and on. I found a album cover I'm about to shoot over. Uh, And this thing is so cool. If there's any music fans out there, uh, the Detroit Masonic Hall is about as good as it gets. It ought to be a music mecca if it's not already treated like one. Uh, Let's see here. Uh, and of course, you've got the the story uh, in recent years of Jack White stepping forward and donating a bunch of money to the Masonic Temple because his mom had a job there when he was a kid. I mean, it's 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 just incredible. Uh, so here is the album cover. Uh, we've got Detroit, the Rolling Stones in the 1970s, and you see their uh, vertical text going up the left side: Masonic Hall, 1978, and that's. That's awesome. If you're an old rock fan, it doesn't get any cooler than that. Uh, And then I was even more surprised to run across this. Is this showing the news article of the Daytona 500 right now?
0: I don't think you're sharing your screen. Oh, okay. Uh, Let's see here.
1: There we go. Can you see that one? There we go. All right, so there's there's the Daytona 500 uh, in the Detroit Masonic Auditorium. Uh, I mean (laughs) – (laughs) <laughs> How cool is that? Uh, let's Fumes see. Uh, for everybody. And uh, let me if I wasn't showing the, uh, uh, there it is. Let's see. I have got to get better at using this thing. Uh, share. And we'll do right there. There's the Rolling Stones cover. Uh, And and the cool thing is that their album from that year is actually live recorded in the Detroit Masonic Hall. So you can actually go listen to the Rolling Stones playing in uh, Detroit from back in the day. It's just you guys have such an amazing resource there. And usually across the country, you have cases where a, a phenomenal building is either still being used Masonically or... The Masons had to let it go, and it now has a really cool use, whether it be music or community. You guys have actually managed to do both over the last 100 years, and that is really hard to continue to do if you look around the country.
2: Yeah, and it hasn't been without its challenges. Uh, There were some some points uh, back in the mid-2000s when uh, there were some serious concerns that uh, the building was going to, Leave the hands of the fraternity. Uh, So that was a time, you know, like I said, of relative uncertainty. Um, But uh, we had a good group of brothers step up who said, you know, no, we're we're not going to let that happen. Uh, We're going to have to make some difficult decisions. Uh, We're going to have to do a few things that um, in the past that we probably would not have done in terms of events and things like that. But um, that did uh, take place. Uh, And you mentioned you mentioned Jack White. And uh, yeah, uh, he stepped up uh, big time, helped us out in our time of need, and uh, he didn't have to do it. Uh, He actually, um, he showed up one day um, at at the reception desk and said, you know, look, I understand that you guys are going through a little bit of financial issues. Um, I'm in a position to help. Uh, You helped out my family in our time of need, and I can do the same for you if you'd like. And uh, his his business manager, from what I understand, actually tried to talk him out of it and said, like, you don't. (laughs) you don't have to do this, but uh, we, we told him, like, and we said, you know, you, you don't, you don't have to do this, but it's like, you know, I, I, I'd like to, so, um, and he didn't ask, in fact, it, it was, it was kept anonymous for a while, uh, but that wasn't going to stay anonymous for long. I mean, like, you know, an intrepid reporter can just file a FOIA request, and it's, you know, going to find out eventually, so it was revealed that, yeah, it was Jack White that did it, so, and he didn't ask for it, but, you uh, there were a couple things renamed in his honor. Like I said, like the old, you know the Scottish Right had left the building prior to that, so the 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 Scottish Rite areas, you know, the theater, the lobby got renamed. You know, Jack White Theater, Jack White Lobby. Um, nice. Prior to that, what had happened? I mean, the reason why the building was kind of in the issue it, it did was because, um, like, like like I said, we kind of had to do a few few things differently. Um, there was an operational agreement with uh, a building operator that didn't quite work out, and uh, mm. a, a few we, we got left holding the bag on a few things that we had to, you know, deal with. And then um, the county at the time also uh, shortened the amount of time that you could float back taxes from uh, five years to two. So it was kind of a uh, it was a double whammy at a really bad time. Uh, so we we, w- we wouldn't have been okay financially. I mean, it, it would have taken a little bit longer uh but we had a plan to get out of it but i mean it just and that donation came through at an opportune time so again you know like a, a very large building um in the middle of a city that's had a fair amount of struggles um over the years that uh sometimes doesn't have the greatest of reputations um sometimes deservedly but usually non-deservedly so that's uh so that's the perception too uh mm-hmm. so it's, uh, so again, it, it's been a tough set of circumstances over the years, um, sure. but uh, but yeah, we're, we're still here. We're still going strong. Uh, we have a, we feel is a very proud legacy. Uh, we feel that we have a, uh, a sacred trust uh, to the fraternity. Uh, this is. There, there, there are many Masonic temples, but there are very few Masonic monuments, and uh, we feel very much that uh, this is a monument. Uh, we feel oh, that, yeah. this is something that uh, for the sake of the fraternity, uh, that this is something that has to be kept going. This is something that has to be kept uh, viable, and strong. Uh, and so that's, uh, that's the that's the charge that we feel that we have to keep.
0: Yeah, no, I would totally agree with you, man. It is a, a staple facility and you know, I mean, everything in masonry continues to have its ups and downs, but uh, you, you got to roll with them. Um, do the best we can. And, you know, from seeing the work that you guys have done on this building, it's, it's amazing. You can tell that your guys' uh, heart and soul is truly there and that you're doing really great things. And I think from a craft's perspective as a whole, everybody really appreciates that because like you said, you know, that it is a staple. It is a an icon, pretty much. Everyone knows about it, and uh, you know whether we're directly associated to it or not. As Freemasons, we're all proud of it. So, you know, thank you really sincerely from the bottom of our hearts uh, for doing the work that you guys do there. you know, so I got a, a quick left uh, left field when I'm going to throw at you here today in the uh, historical light group. Shameless plug: if you're not a member, go join. Um, we actually had a, a Michigan post. Um, this was for a fellow that was out of uh, Troy, Michigan. I know it's not Detroit, but it is close to you guys. So I thought I would just oh, sort of take a swing and uh, see if you guys knew anything about it. So we found a, a photo of a Johnson Niles out of 1870. He was said to be the father of Troy, Michigan, um, listed uh, for opening a hotel, being a first postmaster, uh, county justice of peace, so on and so forth. Um, but we were not able to find a Masonic affiliate record for him. We do have a picture of him in, in his regalia. Um, do you happen to know anything about this individual or if he was confirmed? Um, you know what,
2: I, I actually, uh, I, I, was, I was watching that, th- I was looking at that thread um, earlier today on the post and worship um, uh, brother, Matt Sheldon, uh, who's actually one of our docents uh, down here at the temple. Um, he theorizes, nice. Yeah, he theorizes, and I, I tend to agree with this, is that uh, he was a member of Oakland Lodge number three, um, right. uh, which wasn't around for too long. And again, um, it would have roughly coincided with right around the same time of uh, those initial Masonic troubles um, when uh, the uh, first Grand Lodge was basically shut down in its infancy. And uh, a lot of those records, some were saved, but some of them weren't uh so oakland lodge number three was one of those lodges uh that that, that didn't survive uh when the uh Mm -hmm. second Grand lodge started up uh in the mid 1840s a lot of that didn't carry over so um my theory um is that if he wasn't like raised elsewhere and like that record just didn't survive is that he was a member of that uh that oakland lodge number three and uh, the records just didn't carry over
1: Oh, I'm Fantastic. I'm just now uh, looking into this. This was something I missed earlier today, but I do have that he's, he was serving as Grand Marshal in Michigan in the 1890s uh, oh. and that there's still a historic home that he lived in there in Troy. Uh, I'm going to keep looking, see if I can find anything
0: else. Awesome. Robert is on the case. Yeah, I, I totally saw the uh, the comments from Brother Shelton there. Um, figured I'd throw it in. Glad to see that uh, you concur with those findings. So guys, if you weren't in on it, we have some awesome historical conversations within the group. If you're not a member of Historical Light Masonic Research Group, go click join, get in on those conversations. Um, unlike the plethora of other Masonic groups out there on Facebook, um, we keep this strictly Masonic history. Um, any other posts get discarded. So it is all for history nerds like you and I. So join the group, get in on the combos. Uh, brother, thanks for answering that question. Uh, the other thing I throw at you while uh, Robert's doing some further research there, um, I believe it was you guys a while back on Facebook was selling like a ton of books. I know before, uh, before this, we were talking in the green room there about uh, Grand Lodge of Kansas uh, selling a lot of books, uh, the last two auctions, but um, tell me a little bit of why you guys were getting rid of so many.
2: Well, a lot of it were uh, duplicates, and um, that, that's still ongoing. Um, uh, we oh, is had. It? We just had so so many uh copies of like like i said the mackie sets of uh the coil sets uh just uh they just we in abundance and it's just uh obviously we're going to keep a a good deal of them but uh some of the stuff too it's like um we thought hey why not you know just uh if if there's a brother out there who's uh looking to start or kind of add to his own personal masonic library or if like say like there's a lodge that uh you know perhaps might want a few sets you know we'll uh, We'll sell some at a reasonable price and um, use the proceeds to kind of uh, kind of help uh, kind of help out what we're doing in our own library, like some of the projects we're looking to do in terms of digitization, uh, some of the projects you know for capital improvements and whatnot, uh, some of our acquisitions that we're looking to get as far as you know equipment and things like that. Um, yeah, so and some of the stuff too is kind of like I said, we're trying to focus and become kind of more of uh, I don't want to say a strictly Masonic library in terms of our content, but uh, kind sure. of more focused on that. And, uh, and
0: we were talking a bit before the show
2: about, uh, you know, like uh, the Grand Lodge of Kansas, you know, kind of what they're doing as far as their book sale. Um, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a lot of that is kind of more non-Masonic stuff. They're looking to kind of jettison. Um, we're trying to do the same thing. Um, some of the stuff we have, I mean, it's, it's wonderful stuff, but um We kind of came to the conclusion that, um, say, like uh, if a researcher wanted, I mean, I'll give you one example. Uh, We've we've got a set of uh, nineteenth-century census bureau records. Uh, We've got like a nice uh, geological survey set that was put out in the nineteenth century. I mean, it's 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 really nice stuff, and it's like you know, part of me says, "This is really cool." really like to hold on to this but at the same time it's like well we we also want to be like a viable uh, research library that focuses more on uh, Masonic content so it's like and that's right. and, th- and that's a constant thing we kind of deal with it's like you know do you, do you hold on to some of this cool stuff or maybe, maybe do, you, do you sell it to uh, you know kind of get a little bit more money for what we really want to do as far as an institution and, and some of the stuff too is just you know, you know, duplicates I mean like we've got just another example we've got about like 30 copies of the builders you know it's it's a great book and i mean it's like i personally feel that every mason should read it um so but you know the same thing too it's like do you need 30 copies of the builders taking up shelf space when like you know three or four is fine so and like i said you help another brother kind of build up his library with the proceeds you know benefiting a good cause so uh, and, and again that's um it's when we, when we deaccession anything, uh, just like any other research library, like we put a good deal of thought into it. I mean, sure. is this, so that's, that's kind of where we're at with that too. So
0: so do you guys have, uh, is that on your website or how are you guys uh, basically housing those sales? uh pretty much
2: right now uh we're, we're that that's the other thing too we, we've got to get that website back up i mean we, we had a couple false starts but um right now um it's done primarily on social media um okay. you can find, you can find us on facebook uh we've got a link to that um you can also we're getting an ebay set up as well uh so that the best way to go about it though um if you want to contact us about anything um, uh, email right now is our primary best source. Uh, the email address for us is uh, DMT Docents. That's d is in dog, m is in Mary, t is in toy. docents d o c e n t s at gmail.com. Uh, that's our primary address. It's kind of our uh, it's kind of our ad hoc um, email right now until we get our website up and running. Uh, so that's our best point of contact. If you want to get a copy of our list of books we have for sale, or if you just have like any questions about the building or if there's anything we can do to help out, uh, that's our primary of getting hold of us as well. So that's, um, so we love, uh, we love answering questions. Uh, we love, uh, when brothers reach out to us, uh, you know, just to talk or whatever. So it's, uh, we're always there.
0: Well, you know, for the uh, the Masonic collector out there or somebody trying to get started or even added to their collection, opportunities like that are just, that. those are the ones you want to jump on, right? Because, you know, so many guys will, uh, you know, scroll through eBay. Well, what happens there is people beat you to the punch with deals like this. And then that's why we see those books on eBay for 5,000 to a million dollars, just unrealistic. And then guys like me are like, would really love to read that book but i'm not paying a million dollars for it so while there's an opportunity like this man go check out that facebook page and uh see what kind of books they got i know i'm going to tonight um because there's always usually some good ones you can add to your collection and you know to be able to get it directly from a uh masonic temple like that and also help out with the mission that they're trying to do you can't go wrong with that that's that's pretty awesome man i hope that uh hope that venture goes very well for you guys Robert, you found anything in your research down there?
1: Uh, I found lots of references to Johnson-Niles Masonic activity in Michigan. He uh, seemed to be pretty involved with funeral services as well as uh, building dedications. But, of course, as I said earlier, he was serving as Grand Marshal, so it makes sense that he would have been. Right. Uh, And uh, there was a Niles Lodge number four. Is that still in existence, Brother Moore?
2: To the best of my knowledge, yeah, I think it is.
1: Yeah, so uh, uh, because there's a lodge with his name and there's a city with his name, uh, there's a lot of stuff popping up when looking for Johnson Niles, uh, but no specific lodge references yet.
0: Sweet. Well, uh, Brother Marshall, if you don't mind, probably after the show later on, if you can add some of that to the uh, the thread there and the group and keep that conversation going. I'm sure some of those guys that... uh. Uh, we're in on that topic would love to see that updated information you got it sweet well man i really appreciate having you on the show tonight we've covered some awesome information about the uh, the masonic temple there in detroit and the amazing things you guys are doing Um, i think for now we'll go ahead and uh, send it over to you for any final thoughts
2: well, brothers, um, I'm glad we um, I know we had a couple of false starts here, so I'm finally, I'm finally glad we could uh, get together and make this happen. Um, again, I'd uh, like to uh, thank you, his, uh, Brother Alex, as well as uh, Brother Robert, uh, for uh, giving me this opportunity. I've uh, been a longtime uh, listener and follower of the show, so it's great to finally be a guest here. Um, yeah, it, it's uh, I, again, I'd like to thank you for this opportunity. I've had a great time chatting with both of you tonight um always love talking about our building uh, like i said it's uh often a labor of love uh but it's something that um something i strongly i feel strongly about it's something i'm very much dedicated to it's something that i really believe in uh i i love the fraternity um uh, I, I love the building that we're in so again and uh just like to thank you for uh, having me on the show this evening
0: yeah of course man thank you honestly and uh, you know, your love for the fraternity definitely shows through, and we're, we're proud to have you on our team, brother. Uh, brother Robert, I'm going to toss it down to you for final thoughts. Uh,
1: all right. Uh, brother Moore, you've got a pretty iconic photo that I think a lot of Masons around the country uh, recognize when they see. Uh, you're a cigar guy, so are you a Hiram and Solomon cigar guy, or do you have a different preferred stick?
2: Well, you know, I, uh, I, I kind of prefer, like, a, I, I prefer a good Maduro. Um, okay. I kind of prefer the cigars to be a little bit darker. Um, I like the Hyreman Solomons. They're a, they're a little bit tougher to get in Michigan. Uh, there's a there's a smoke shop uh, that's a little bit of a healthy drive that uh, that carries them. Uh, but yeah yeah the Hyreman Solomons are great. Uh, I like the Veiled Prophet from Hireman Solomon. That's a really good smoke. Um, we've got a little bit of, we got a nice little humidor that we keep going in the library as well. Uh, I mentioned like uh, we've got the, uh, the smoke eaters that helps out a lot. Uh, a lot of the brothers uh, throughout Michigan really, like, uh, are really into it. Um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a really good way to kind of uh, enjoy, like, uh, kind of, like, uh, some conviviality, some fellowship. Uh, a lot of the, you know, like I said, a lot of the brothers like to get together, have a smoke, kind of chat about, you know, not just the crap, about things going on in their lives. So, um, but yeah, it's, uh, I, I try to be more of a social smoker. You know, it's not something I try to do, you know, every day, but um, I kind of happens that way sometimes so but, uh, but yeah <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah it's uh yeah i've got the uh civil war looking photo uh i've got a more recent one too that uh me and a brother uh back on uh, actually sunday just uh, went out same thing you know just got together and just uh did some chatting and uh happened to have uh one of my uh one of my lodge hats on so i just uh, just turned around and to them got a photo so
1: very cool. Uh, well, thanks for that uh, feedback. I'll uh, put a word in the Hyman Solomon guys ears and tell them that their cigars are hard to find up there. So maybe they can uh, start working on making them more available. I've got my uh, Masonic Ooh. cigar uh, coffin here. Uh, that's what I use to uh, carry cigars around when I travel. It was given to me by a brother. Uh, Uh, I I would also uh, like to say before signing out uh, that the Detroit Masonic Temple was one of the first, uh, uh, I don't know how else to describe it, but uh, awe-inspiring Masonic buildings I ever visited, uh, not long after I became a Mason. Uh, It's one of those rare buildings that I hope every Mason, and, and a part of me would hope that anyone anywhere interested in architecture in any way whatsoever, Mason or not, Uh, would go see one of these types of buildings because it offers that very unusual eclectic opportunity to go from room to room and see Egyptian revival, Romanesque, Neo-Gothic, colonial style, just a series of historic schools of architecture. And outside of these increasingly rare Masonic buildings, you're not really able to walk through different schools of architecture in any other place uh so if you're in, ever in the detroit area and you choose to not go see this building uh and and hang out with a brother more here uh then uh, shame on you that's all i could say about it <laughs> uh, and uh, that's what i got thanks for uh joining us tonight rob
2: Oh, thank you, brothers. And uh, yeah, like I said, if you're ever in the Detroit area, just uh, drop us a line. Uh, We do ask you to give us a little bit of lead time. uh, Make sure, you know, it's a good day for a tour. Uh, Make sure that if I'm not available, uh, you know, we got a dose that they could take you around. Uh, It's a big building. We don't want you to get lost. But um, yeah, yeah, we love showing it off. You know, we love showing it off. We love chatting about it. We love talking about it. So, yeah. yeah i another shameless plug but i mean it really should be on your masonic bucket yep. uh, just come take the trip. Sure. definitely worth it
0: well brother you know again i just totally appreciate you having on the having you on the show if i can speak right tonight uh it's great to hear that you're a long time viewer of historical light so that's even more cool to have you join us and we hope to have you again in the future man this was a, a plethora of information tonight some really good stuff i thrilled to find out more about this temple that I've seen pictures of for so long. I'm not content now. It just makes me want to see it that much more. And you know, me and Robert, we uh, we just had the chance to uh, meet up in Oklahoma not too long ago and did a tour of a Masonic building there. And we've got one or two other trips that we're uh, pondering doing here in the fairly near future. So. I don't know, Robert, what do you think, man? I think we may need to uh, fit in a Detroit trip at some point. Yeah.
1: You know, uh, funny thing. Uh, I uh, actually just invested in a, uh, we'll call it a herbal business in Michigan. Uh, legal uh, here. Spe- What's that? Ah, I was just
0: to say it's, it's legal here.
1: <laughs> Bingo. That's uh, <laughs> that, that, that's why it's located there. Uh, but I have an eye towards, uh, uh, uh Moving it or a branch of it here when it becomes legal here uh, is the reason I was interested. But anyway, uh, I will be going uh, to Michigan fairly soon to uh, visit that and uh, hopefully Alex and I can uh, swing
2: over to your temple. Love to take you
0: around. Fantastic. We need one of those seven hour tours. We won't <laughs> <see everything. laughs> you know, we, uh,
2: we yeah, that you'll you're gonna see a lot. Uh, bring your walking shoes, but uh, yeah, but uh, but no, that that's the thing too. And just uh, speaking other tours real quick, uh, we do a little bit of variety. Um, we do kind of like the, the more kind of standard, you know, like stuff that focuses on the history and the architecture of the building. Uh, we've also, uh, for about the last two years, been doing what we call behind-the-scenes tours. We show a little bit more of like the uh, like the variety of the infrastructure of the building itself. You know, some of the stuff, you know, you know, for security liability reasons, stuff we really can't show on regular tours like uh like the power rooms right. like you know the service tunnels you know things like that but, um, but uh a lot of folks are sitting in that and it's uh that's uh, been an excellent fundraiser for the library uh that's something we try to do usually on a quarterly basis if not more so uh yeah but uh yeah if you if you don't mind doing a lot of walking maybe getting a little dirty yeah <laughs> we can yeah.
0: dude that uh that sounds right down our path that's kind of what we prefer right robert
2: that's right
1: uh actually i was thinking uh <laughs> Uh, surely, for historical light specialists, there's some sort of uh, accidentally get lost in the building and spend the night in one of the 1,000 rooms. Option. Yes.
0: We'll put that on the books. It's the <laughs> historical light tour.
2: You Just for you, too. Well,
0: well, you know, I, I should have done this earlier, but uh, I, I want to send it back over to you if you don't mind and give you an opportunity to uh, hit up any shameless plugs. I know your facility does weddings and all kinds of other stuff. Um, how, how can we find out information about that? How can we find out more information about um, the facility in general? And how can we get a hold of you? Uh,
2: well, the website is www.thumbasonic.com. Uh, that gives you a great rundown uh, about the building itself. Uh, like you said, you mentioned the 360 tour. Um, if, you, if you can't make it to Detroit anytime soon, it's the next best thing. Um, also, uh, you can call me direct. Uh, my number at the Temple is 313 7100 extension 227 and if i don't pick up right away just leave a message and i'll get back to you as soon as i can uh like i said we're still working on the library facebook page um i was hoping to have it up and running by now uh not quite yet but it will be soon Uh, but you can find us on facebook uh detroit masonic temple library Archive and Research Center. We update it uh, pretty much every day. I always try to have some fresh content up there. Uh, So that's a great way to kind of check out what we're doing. And uh, if you're so inclined, send us a message. Uh, Again, we we love chatting with brothers. We love answering questions. Um, So yeah, um, yeah, come check us out sometime.
0: Awesome. Well, brother, thank you again for coming on the show. We hope to have you on another time if you're willing. We'd always uh, love to have another chat with you. Um, Until next time, everybody, definitely hit up the group that is the Historical Light Masonic Research Group on Facebook. Uh, If you're not a member already, go there now, click join, get in on the conversation. We'll continue it there. Uh, We've got some cool little, uh, I don't want to say games, but items we're going to do to keep the topics interesting over the coming weeks there. Um, Also, if you like Historical Light, you want to see us grow and continue. uh, We've got some really cool things coming down the pipeline in the future that we're excited about. If you want to help support the show, go to the website and you can uh, do so safely and securely through PayPal. We appreciate you all. Hit up the group and we'll talk to you there until next time. See y'all later. Thanks, brothers.